This podcast was recorded on the 6th of April 2020. All information was correct at the time of recording, but may have changed. So please make sure you check for the latest information. Insiders from Siemens, the podcast for the smart infrastructure community across the UK and Ireland. Hi, and welcome to Insiders for April 2020. I'm Steve Randall, and in this month's episode, we'll learn more about the work of the digital grid businesses within SI. There's news of a new HR initiative, and we bring you a podcast within a podcast with a curious link between the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change. This is the Insiders Podcast from Siemens. First, though, during these unprecedented times, it's important to remember that the current conditions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic are temporary, but also to remember the importance of staying connected to colleagues using the technology available and to ensure that if you or they are finding things tough, there is help available. There's well-being information on the Siemens intranet and plenty of information from the NHS and support organisations. So if the stress is getting to you, please reach out for help. I'm sure you've heard that the government has set a challenge to British manufacturers to help hospitals with a shortage of ventilators, and Siemens has stepped up. In the first of a new series of videos, Siemens PLC CEO and head of SI in GBI, Carl Ennis, talked with Brian Holiday, MD of Digital Industries in GBI, and Peter Harrison, MD of Siemens Healthineers in GBI, about the challenge. Brian explained what Siemens is doing. It was evident that we could play a role in this. And so we took the challenge and really worked as Siemens to look at capabilities, everything from medical device manufacture to design software to additively manufactured components, as well as the offer even of um, space to make things with our colleagues from SGRE. Siemens Health Engineers and um, Siemens PLC are uh, both partners in this. And we're actually working now with at Ford in the case of one of these designs and Rolls-Royce in the case of the other. Um, we've got some credible support from aerospace companies like uh, Airbus and also pretty much all of the UK-based Formula One teams will be part of this. Our engagement will be in the testing and final assembly. It may be in the test and build of printed circuit board assemblies as well at our Siemens Congleton factory. Now, aside from the specific requirement for ventilators, the Health and Ears team is providing critical support for the NHS, as Peter Harrison explained. Actually, we're getting a lot of interest in our products. Um, uh, CTs, particularly mobile CT, they're used uh, to, to, to assess um, disease condition. Um, mobile x-rays, we're getting orders for mobile x-rays, point of care testing, blood gas analyzers, that's what we make uh, at our Sudbury facility. Um, also, you may not be aware that we have teams actually on site at a number of our um, managed equipment service sites, a number of hospitals around the country where our, our teams are resident on site there. And of course, we have our support staff that are going out there and fixing equipment, the rare occasions it actually breaks down. Um, and those are uh, the folk that we've got in the front line. And so far, the response from them has absolutely been tremendous. So it makes me really, really proud, actually. You know, this is a healthcare crisis um, and we're a healthcare company and it's our opportunity to make a real public health contribution and everyone seems to be seizing that opportunity. Brian also talked about those in the Siemens team who are not working from home but providing essential services across the country. We, like Siemens Health and Ears, have a significant field-based force, you know, uh, guys that are working to keep water flowing through our taps, to keep energy systems running, to help food and beverage and chemical factories uh, keep their products 
um, you know, uh, that, that we are so heavily dependent on right now running through the factories. So I'm, I'm incredibly, you know, equally proud of those teams who are working to support our customers in a tier two fashion. Um, but equally, we've been working to make sure call center teams and technical support have been set up to work from home. That's meant taking home some physical hardware and it's meant for the rest of us trying to make sure that we do a better job of using the communication technologies to stay in touch and also just check in with each other um, as small teams, making sure that people are okay for remote working. And um, this, this might be our new normal for the foreseeable future. So we're, we're up for the challenge and we're gonna use the opportunity to try and upskill ourselves and our customers to communicate just as much. Sales is business critical, um, you know, and we're gonna spend every, every second working to support our customers uh, through this, uh, this crisis. We will come out the other side. And Carl suggested that the current situation is likely to bring about long-term change. This is likely to be a change that lasts far beyond the current crisis. And we're doing all sorts of things that, that historically we've said, oh, that's really difficult to do remotely. Now we have no option. You'd be surprised how inventive the mother of necessity is and all of that. To the audience out there, I hope you found this useful. Uh, more to come, and please do stay safe. Thank you. Insiders from Siemens, the podcast for the smart infrastructure community across the UK and Ireland. Next this month, following on from our recent Electric Avenue special on EV charging, we're finding out more about the work of the digital grid businesses within SI with John Turner. John, what's your role? I'm head of sales for the smart infrastructure digital grid businesses in the UK and Ireland. The digital grid managed services business sits in the heart of the overall DG software portfolio. It's very much at the end of the grid on the meter and behind the meter. And as we develop and as the smart metering portfolio increases, you know, that software bill will become an increasingly important part of that business. So as things develop, how much of your focus is still on metering? It's a significant chunk. I mean, it's contribution to um, to Siemens, it's contribution to a digital grid is significant, you know, both in terms of volume and, and the customers that we interface with. Such a broad portfolio within the metering managed services business, you know, ranging from uh, energy suppliers right the way through to uh, hundreds of relationships with, with high street brands that we all know. But it's um, you know, that end of the grid uh, metering businesses are still significant and, and will continue to be significant as the smart metering uh, rolls out. And would you say that people may not realise the possibilities that metering has? Meters, unfortunately, over the last two or three years have received somewhat mixed press as the UK smart metering rollout has endured several delays and um, changes, ultimately, in my view, to get, to get it right pre the government infrastructure, which is known as the data communications company. There was a period of time where phase one meters were being installed, uh, and now we're really into um, significant volumes of post-DCC SMETs 2, phase two uh, meters, which is the enduring um, platform for smart metering in the UK. For consumers, it gives such a great range of options. I mean, today, you know, the immediate benefits are smart and accurate uh, meter readings. So in the past, you'd have to wait in for a meter person or you would take the reading yourself and uh, ring it in or put it on a website. Now it's somewhat automated and that can go from weekly reads, daily reads, and eventually more towards real-time readings. So the, the meter reading accuracy is obviously a big one. There is then the ability then to, to enjoy 
uh, variable tariffs and multiple tariffs eventually as the smart metering rollout matures. We're enjoying only the, the early part of the benefits of smart metering. I think there's plenty more to come as uh, as it becomes more established. And looking for a moment just specifically at electric vehicle charging, tell us about how well positioned Siemens is in terms of metering and accessing the right tariffs. Positioning is really critical to this. So if we take what we've enjoyed so far as the digital grid relationship with, with electric vehicles is that we've had a an established uh, relationship with several energy suppliers. A lot of those guys are the challenger brands, the new guys on the block, so to speak. So the managed services business have um, provided several services to these guys, mainly around smart metering installation and, and data services to this point. But lots of great innovative conversations um, start to spin out. And naturally, when you have a skill set there that is built around um, electrical meter installations, you know, what else can we do? And one of our key customers, Bulb Energy, were very interested in starting a small initial pilot with key customers only sort of 15 to start with but a collaboration of several organizations with Siemens at the heart of it um, we're working on a journey where there is a smart installation of a electric vehicle point that's that smart metering infrastructure is supplied by an organization called Ubertricity that Siemens have worked with on the past on um, providing a smart metering infrastructure to street furniture obviously coupled with a uh, a new smart meter as well. We've also worked in part of that uh, uh, collaboration is an organization called IntelliCharge. Um, and those guys are ultimately what they're creating is an ability to to smart charge. So install your EV, have a smart meter, and then you can start getting really clever with how you, you, um, you charge your vehicle. So for example, I'm a hybrid user. And when I pull into the drive of an evening, on my app, I can set what time I want that car back uh, in the morning to pull away. So take, for example, six o'clock in the morning. And then through the evening, that infrastructure gets very clever and charges uh, the vehicle at the points of the most optimum time from a tariff perspective or when energy is least used on the grid. And therefore, I'm receiving the benefit of the lowest tariff um, during that charging point. It's really interesting stuff. Sounds great. And of course, there's more about that tie-up with Ubertricity on our Electric Avenue special, which was out in March. Now, John, metering is also becoming more of a two-way link, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we're very much in its infancy at the moment, but the smart meter will allow for that to bring the advantage of the prosumer. Obviously, you've got the, the usage of energy at a particular time and you're measuring that through the smart meter. But if you've got your own generation device, then you can also start to measure how you put back into the grid. And that could even be if you have the right car to do so, there could be a chance to vehicle to grid. So come home of an evening with a a part full vehicle you can offload that during the most expensive time and then draw back off it at some of the time when it's best for you when the tariffs are cheaper or you know you may have a um, pv solution on the roof get yourself a residential storage battery there and again start to measure where you maybe use that battery at the right time to complement what you're drawing off the grid as well so even now with the technologies that are available, you are starting to see some really exciting stuff and, and who knows what the next sort of 10 years may bring as, as that technology matures and improves even further. And how does all this fit into the wider drive to align energy usage with demands such as climate change action? So decarbonisation and decentralisation are absolute cornerstones of I think where the energy grid and the energy landscape in the UK will go. We're already starting to see it now. 
opportunities to advance off-grid solutions, you know, both in terms of um, microgrids that pull off the grid occasionally, but then self-generate and ultimately create an off-grid environment. But but obviously, you know, we've got a, 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 an industry that has relied heavily on carbonized sources so far. We're great that we're seeing you know, far further renewable sources as the as the central power and who knows what the building regulations are going to look like what all new homes let alone retrofit so you know i do genuinely believe that over the uh, the next even just 10 years with the advances of storage with the advances of mobility and um, with further electrification the principles around that smart home again you know, I think we're going to see a massive step change in 10 years, let alone 50. I think other things to consider as well, though, is the grid infrastructure, because I think the, you know, the demands on that grid uh, are going to be incredibly high. There's going to be stresses on the grid, even at the ends of some of the grids at the moment. We're seeing you know, businesses, large campuses, large complexes coming off the grid because of those stresses and some of the, um, the quality of the energy that they're getting you know, causing them problems with their own production. And then the other one, big one, is, is, is urbanization. You know, we're still heavily moving towards that city living. You know, and again, you can see already there's a very congested grid there. So lots of things at play. This is the Insiders Podcast from Siemens. Now for a Siemens Insiders First, a podcast within a podcast. As Head of Sustainability, Olivia Whitlam, and Environment Manager, Sarah Jones, join us for a new series. Okay, Sarah, so uh, super bravely, you decided to choose the topic of our first ever podcast to be, we will not fight climate change with a virus. (laughs) We're living in some very strange times at the moment. And I just saw this really interesting quote. It's from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. And he said, we will not fight climate change with a virus. China is responsible for 30% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And it's really interesting to see the scientific monitoring that's been able to be done by satellites that actually shows in real time the emissions just plummeting as soon as these countries go into lockdown. We're seeing the same thing in northern Italy and starting to see similar things in London as well, looking at air pollution levels. Obviously, as Siemens, we have a target to be carbon neutral by 2030. We've got lots of programmes happening in terms of looking at the energy efficiency of our sites. But a lot of this comes down to the behavioural change. We have implemented a huge shift in behavioural change to combat COVID-19. Can we take a positive from this and take some learning and apply that to the challenge that we have on addressing climate change? One of the positives which I hope will come out of this whole scenario is you know the compassion and the empathy that we have as a human race for each other you know we recognize the interdependence that we have you know both within our global population and, and with the natural world so can we take that and really channel that energy into climate change and reducing carbon emissions yeah i suppose it's that shift between hang on we can respond so amazingly quickly as you know a country as a business to this kind of immediate threat, why do we not respond that quickly on something like climate change, which is going to you know, displace 180 million people because of sea level rise over the next 80 years? Because it's further off, we don't seem to want to do anything about it while it's kind of easier to tackle. 
Yeah, I think psychologically, as a human race, it's really hard for us to actually see that long term threat because we live in in the now. Um, and that's why the battle against COVID-19 is, you know, it's an immediate threat. So society is taking immediate action to address it. The challenge with climate change is that it happens over a period of time. You're not going to see the immediate impact today, tomorrow, next week. It's going to be 10, 15 years time. It might be the next generation that are really incredibly impacted by climate change. I think one of the challenges that we face is as a temporary reduction in emissions happens as a result of the the shutdown from COVID-19, what will happen when we come out the other end? I think we have a real opportunity as we come out of this to actually say, well, you know, how are we going to rebuild the economy in a sustainable way? And how can we put carbon and climate change at the centre of that? And I think that's where Siemens is really well placed. Yeah, nice segue. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it probably the time to talk about, I mean, we, we've been bouncing around for years now, what, since 2015, since the Paris Agreement, that Siemens is going to be carbon neutral by 2030. We've made some progress, to be sure. Uh, we've got an interim target of 50% reduction by 2020, so the end of this year, which we're on track for. But what does the next 10 years look like for us? We get into the harder stuff to do. Fleet, you know, emissions from our vehicles is a big chunk of our carbon emissions here in the UK. We need to travel to see our customers to understand their challenges, to work with them. But now in the situation we're facing, we're doing a lot more of that interaction via you know, web meetings and actually phoning people, chatting to people. We can't do it face to face, so we're having to do it a different way. So I think we've got a huge opportunity for people to really understand the technology that we can use to work with our stakeholders We don't necessarily have to travel 200 miles to go and see somebody. Travel is the kind of, especially in a car, is the most dangerous thing we do. From a health and safety point of view, it's not great for our employees um, or for anybody. Road travel is really still quite dangerous. Um, And also the well-being impact. I mean, as much as we might be climbing the walls about our families currently (laughs) being trapped in small spaces with them, it is nice to be able to be at home every night, you know, and not, halfway across the country in a hotel by yourself. And particularly people who have a a long commute every day, travelling two plus hours in and out of the office. Mm. Can you gain that time and do something positive um, as a result of, you know, that free time? Yeah, there was a great study a few years ago that talked about um, anything over a half hour commute uh, in one direction uh, increased stress levels, kind of like they doubled every 10 minutes after it or something. So, you know... Who needs more stress in their lives? Let's save the planet and be more chilled out. Definitely. So that's fleet, which kind of, it always seems to come back to cars, doesn't it? But there's so much more we could do. And the big one, I think, that we've been talking about recently between ourselves has been about kind of how we heat our buildings mm-hmm. um, and using some of our own technologies as well on ourselves. Definitely. And particularly, you know, we're very reliant on gas for our heating here in the UK. This is where some of the big sort of investment decisions are going to have to happen. Um, So are we going to be able to switch to DES or are we going to be able to switch to electric heating? Um, Do we look at more natural ventilation versus... I'm just going to scroll back a little bit. We did the terrible Siemens acronyming thing, just in case anybody's listening that doesn't know what DES is, (laughs) Distributed Energy Systems. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, that makes it so much clearer, not making an acronym. I'm not sure it helps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Google it. They're cool. Yeah, distributed energy systems. So that could be, um, you know, renewables. You have PV on your roof. You could have micro wind. At our Congleton site, we're installing a gas turbine that will run on green gas. How will governments, businesses, industry look to invest in the future to enable the economy to recover in a green way? Well, it started to happen, hasn't it? We managed to decouple the UK economy from our carbon emissions. And actually, that's been something that's been a bit of a pipe dream, it feels like, from when I was at uni. You know, people talked about it as theoretically being possible, but now we're seeing it. But it needs to decouple a lot more and it needs yeah. to decouple globally. Like you're saying, China emits like a third of the world's CO2. Are we just outsourcing our emissions to China? You know, it's very nice if we're generating green electricity here. But if we manufacture everything over there and they're not using 100 percent renewables, it's their emissions, not ours. We're not going to claim them. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And being able to understand the true cost of carbon in the supply chain is a real challenge. I mean, it's bad enough trying to decide if bananas versus apples have more carbon yeah. uh, <laughs> footprint. And I believe the answer is always apples, isn't it? Because yeah. of refrigerating <laughs> them and how we grow them. And you can't just stick them in a ship and ship them around the world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe that's quite a good point to end on. If you want to know a little bit more about this yourselves, there's some great materials out there like the Mike Berners-Lee book about carbon footprints of bananas uh, might be worth the read. There's certainly a lot of stuff about our carbon neutral programme on our website to go and have a look at. And I think a lot of this is people maybe don't feel connected to. They kind of know a bit about a topic and they care about it, but perhaps don't realise how much information is out there for free around carbon and it is just a Google away. Yeah, I think you know, one of the questions that we embedded our, in our sustainability strategy is, you know, always ask the question, you know, can we do things differently? Um, and, you know, the question we started out here is, you know, can you fight climate change with a virus? Well, no, but we have so many more questions that we need to ask to find the answer, you know, how we do tackle this climate change emergency. And Sarah and Olivia will be back again next month. Now, a new Siemens HR initiative has been launched called My Growth, and it's the new place to find my learning world and own your career. Head of HR, Valerie Todd, has been trying it out. I think one of the things that I think everyone will recognise is that the world in which we work is changing very quickly. And how we learn needs to keep pace with that. I mean, these changes are about new technologies, new products, new services, innovations in the way we work. And indeed, um, the expectations of our employees being higher than, than, than perhaps they once were. So what that means is that the skills and knowledge that we need to do our jobs is also changing. And in some areas very quickly. That means that we need to make sure that learning keeps pace with that and it can't be as predictable as it once was and it's not as plannable as it once was. My growth actually provides something that's far more agile, far more suited to the world of work as we see it today and I think my growth actually lowers the barriers to getting access to all that wealth of learning that Seaman has but also to the wealth of opportunities out there through the um, Own Your Own Career platform. It's almost like a one-stop shop. A couple of the things that I like, you've still got all the things that we know and recognise. So we've still got open job market, we've still got job tagging, 
you've still got my learning world so you've still got all the things that people recognize but what i found was that navigating across the new platform is very intuitive type in what you want to learn about what you want to access and the system pushes that towards you then you've got this fantastic feature where you can actually keep the things that you want to look at or learn about until you're ready till you've got more time and you just they just stay there waiting for you in your own personal playlist it can be used to meet the needs of any type of learner so it doesn't matter where your learning journey is starting there is something in there for you it encourages employees to explore and experiment with their learning in a safe environment so i went on and i was doing a bit of a review on tax and customer excise and I, I don't know anything about custom netcast, but I could explore it and tinker and play and pick up some bits of knowledge that I thought was really, really interesting. And in a safe environment, I'm not in a classroom with those of other specialists who know their stuff. I am just learning for the love and joy of learning within Siemens. And that brings us to the end of another Siemens Insiders for the SI community in GB and I. My name's Steve Randall. We'll be doing it again next month. Don't forget to check out the wellbeing page on the Siemens intranet for details about staying positive and where you can get help should you be finding these times particularly tough during the lockdown. And of course, once again, a big thank you, as mentioned earlier on in the podcast, to all of those who are working in critical roles and not working from home at the moment, but still going to work, still getting the job done. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening to Insiders. Keep up with the latest episodes at siemens.co.uk slash insiders or subscribe with your favourite podcast app. Copyright Siemens. Siemens. Ingenuity for life.